Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin and how did they end? Let's find out on today's special episode, A Fan of History. That, my friends, was the great Ryan Stitt of the History of Ancient Greece podcast. This is the second episode with Bernie talking to Ryan about Ancient Greece. So if you haven't listened to part one, you should do that. I want to give a personal shout out to Ryan for coming on. And uh, I'm sorry that I couldn't join the podcast. But I think Bernie did a great job. And with without further ado, here is... Ryan Stitt and Bernie. I'm pretty yeah. cool. I go like right into the, I get ahead a little, but I pretty much, I'm, I kind of have tunnel vision when I do it. I try to just get into that decade and I try to find little weird stories too. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I mean, why do you think there were so many merc- Greeks or mercenaries for so long? And not just after they had the failings before. You think they were like great fighters or just so many of them, the killers? What do you think? Probably um, They had um, superior weapons technology. With the with the hoplites, they were they were pretty they were good fighters. Everybody won, wanted to hire the Egyptians wanted to hire them. Um, they had there were some in the Libyans um, when the Libyans tried to overtake the Egyptians. You know the Near East, most of the Near Eastern army like Lydians uh, wanted Spartan mercenaries or not mercenaries Spartan soldiers. They wanted the Greeks to fight for them because they knew how disciplined they were. Mercenaries really, I mean, there, it wasn't really that big of a thing until later. Uh, I mean, obviously, the mercenaries from the Greek mercenaries, I mean, big of a thing in in terms of like it wasn't as popular until, say, like the later Peloponnesian War into the fourth century. And everyone remembers 
Xenophon's famous the yeah. ten thousand the ten thousand mercenaries that go off to fight for uh, Cyrus the second, uh, trying to overthrow his brother, not Cyrus the Great, but another Cyrus, a later yeah. one. But early on, like you would get, you know, some people would go off to be mercenaries for various reasons: adventure, uh, maybe they were poor, <laughs> or they were really rich, but they weren't part of the ruling class, and. This is the same reason kind of why you get people colonizing too. Like, okay, maybe there's famine, maybe something. Or maybe they were um, Eastern Greeks uh, who, you know, um, just kind of wanted an adventure or something. You, yeah. you never really know. You're just conjecturing why people, you know, hire themselves out of sword, sell swords. Yeah, because they, they had free – they could – they were, you know, they weren't yeah. ruled by a single ruler like, you know – yeah. I couldn't imagine um, Ashurbanipal letting a bunch of his citizens like be in, in the employee of someone else's army. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were quote unquote free in the sense that they had their city state, and this Greece wasn't right. Greece, like it's not what you think of like modern Greece. It was right. individual. It was more of like each city state was more of the way I, the way a good analogy, but it's not roughly equivalent. But a good analogy would kind of be like the u.s like 13 colonies like mm-hmm. each city state was kind of like its own colony in a sense uh in the pre-revolution days where like they mm-hmm. had autonomy but they were kind of they knew they all kind of came from the same uh right or maybe like christian yeah. europe like when they would do it the crusades maybe you know they fight each other all the time but then then they band together to fight the against his muslims well, not really in the sense that, like, even when they fought the Persians, they didn't all band together. They were right. – it was only about, I think, 30 percent of the Greeks actually fought in the Persian War for the Greeks. And, and and some of them were neutral. Some of them actually fought on the Persian side. It was very much a civil war as opposed mm-hmm. to an external war, too. It's amazing that they beat them. I mean, it just – you know, it always is. It's one of those amazing things in history, right? Mm-hmm. Well – Sure. And also, I mean, like looking back on it too, it's like, okay, they beat them and they pushed them out. But if, if the Persians really wanted to defeat them, yeah, like if they wanted to throw every single resource they had at it to do it, they could have done yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like they could have worked that it's so far away. Right. Yeah. But they, they were just, you know, they, they just like these, they were these kind of, yeah, nobodies, quote unquote, nobodies on their, their periphery. Like they were like, okay, well, whatever. We'll just, you know, go back to where we were going and going back to making money and deal with people in the East. Yeah. Which we don't get a whole lot of record of of what they were doing in the East because they tended to be, I don't want to say illiterate because they weren't illiterate, but they didn't write or leave records quite like we get when we get with like the Hebrews and the Greeks and the Egyptians. Yeah, the people, the, the, Western the people. Babylonians yeah. kept a lot of records too. Yeah. So we don't have like a lot of records from the people the Persians fought in the east, the north, the northeast. So you can yeah. get a lot. You can only get a lot of conjectures. Or Herodotus mentions a few battles with the Massagetae and and the Scythians. But like, you, it's just a lot of it was like you can just assume that there was constant battles on their uh, on their borders in the east. That the armies were every year, or every few years, had to go out and you know keep. But we don't really get that. Um, so oh, like right. when when the Persian record is silent, it's kind of you know you just quote-unquote insert okay they're uh consolidating their government consolidating power probably dealing with people in the east <laughs> yeah it's like the assyrians were always dealing with somebody in the east but it was the people who were the persians <laughs> end up being mm-hmm. the persians right and they're always fighting the 
in Elam or in Babylonia or in those places. Mm-hmm. So, but it's still funny how like they even the Greeks get them wrong. I, I where they they call um, they call Ashurbanipal Sardanapalus. I think it is right. They I don't know that. Great, yeah, they have this story. They they let me see. They call him Sardanapalus, and they basically get him mixed up with his brother. There's a play, and he's called Sardanapalus. Hang on mm. a second. Well, I mean, the Greeks changed a lot of names to f- sound better for the Greek tongue. So a lot of like names, a lot of Greek names end in OS or ION and you'll you'll mm-hmm. see Cyrus, Xerxes, Darius like like that's not their actual Persian name. So, I mean, and we do the same with English. Like we anglicize everything. Yeah. Like the Greek words um we've turned into and the Romans did it too. Uh they took the Greek words and turned them into Latin better for their language. So it's just you know that's what they they do. That's and we know these people by the Greek names be, in the Greek sources, um, which goes you know because the Greek sources are what we have, and they're predominantly we don't have like a Persian chronicle of their own history. We have Greeks talking about Persian history, so we know them by the Greek names, just like a lot of the Egyptian Egyptian rulers, pharaohs. We know by Greek names or by the names that they were called, and not right. by their own names that they Thankfully, were because yeah. egyptian names are really hard to pronounce compared to greek names <laughs> sometimes people know by their egyptian names now like like greek cheop or cheops instead of mm-hmm. khufu but people call khufu now like sometimes like you know it, it changes but like yeah they changed their names basically and, and and that's not like a nationalistic kind of we don't like your name it's just like everybody does that right i'm not saying it's right but it's just what it is like right we call los angeles not los angeles you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but yeah they they but but they really had it mixed up because there was a they they described ashurbanipal they call him sardanopolis and they described him as a rich and effeminate king of nineveh and then in the end he set himself on fire with all his treasure and concubine when faced with a rebellion by a Mede general. So that's obviously all mixed mm-hmm. up. I think they probably just took a story, you know, the story of the Shamashuma, Shamashuma Ukin. That was Asher Banapal's brother in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. And then just sort of, you know, made a story out of it. Mm-hmm. Either that or they just didn't have it, you know, they didn't know. So we'll never know. We'll never know what they knew, I guess, but <laughs> for sure. I mean, we know that all these places are connected and everything, but they're still we they're still far away from each other. You know, 600 BC when you don't have a car or a plane to get there and a phone to call, even though they're connected. But I, you know, if you lose a little, I think if you lose a little bit, you know, if just the people that are connected lose the memory or the connections that they had and the knowledge of these other civilizations, then I don't know. I guess you just sort of you just lose it. You know, you don't really understand everything about them as, as much as the, like the Persians and the Greeks that obviously knew a lot more about each other once they've been in contact for so long. I don't know if it's necessarily that they lost knowledge or they don't had knowledge of each other. It's just, I mean, the people who, the traders, the people who would, would come into contact with the other civilizations obviously knew the other people, but are we talking like the everyday farmer who oh, yeah, is they living on their farm? Right, of course, uh, right. Are they going to really know about all the different people in the world? Um, other than you know, maybe what they heard when they went to the local agora and the like gossip or you know, yeah. like uh, like oh these are, and then you know like the upper elite classes are getting like these rich Phoenician and Egyptian like jewelry and things like okay like most of their contact would have been through like goods I would imagine right. 
um, sure, or, right. or, or the people who were, say, Egyptian traders, maybe at the Greek ports, might have been an Egyptian ship pulling in or something, yeah. um, or a Phoenician ship pulling in. Your uh, knowledge of a said type of people comes from a certain other class of people. Yeah, comes so. through filters, sort of like the Romans and the Chinese, though. You know, like they knew that there was this place, but when they really, they really didn't understand what was each were like. They, but they did have some. You know, they were they got close, but that way. Yeah, I mean, they generally knew where the people were. I mean, in the sixth century is when you start getting a lot of our earliest evidence for maps, uh, cartography. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure people knew it beforehand because they would have to sail. They used stars to figure right. out how to get different places and different seasons were better for sailing. But you start seeing like early or earliest evidence for cartography. And for the most part, I mean, it's relatively accurate in the sense of like the Mediterranean. Obviously, <laughs> everywhere outside of that is like they didn't have. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The exact boundary is correct. Right. But like they kind of knew where the different peoples were in the Mediterranean. Like, okay, the Lydians were to the east. Phoenicians were to the southeast. Egypt was to the further, was a little bit more south as opposed to southeast. Well, it was southeast, but not quite as southeast. At, like, you know. More five o'clock, less four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like it relatively where the people were, they they knew that. Um, and again, people who would be making these these cartography maps were richer people who probably who had the luxury of traveling as well. Right. <laughs> so, right. yeah, um, it wouldn't have been like the everyday person who lived on their farm and basically was just trying to survive. Right. So, doesn't even know who's in charge or what. Probably yeah. most of them, you know. Yeah. But it's still interesting like that they got the Syrians so wrong later, you know, that they they, they knew that there was they knew that there was a, something in Nineveh, but they didn't such a big empire that they just I don't know, like it doesn't seem like either really 
understood what was going on over there. What do you mean they got? Government. What do you mean they got him wrong? Well, like in this, they, well, they well they called Ashurbanipal this funny name. They really don't know the story. They call him the King of Nineveh. Like it doesn't seem like they really had. From what I've I looked that there was only a small amounts of Assyria ever mentioned by the Greeks later, and then came through Egypt. But uh, but uh, I mean it's 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 very dangerous to uh, to talk like that. That like that's what they knew because mm-hmm. first off the the sources. It could just be that that's what that per- particular According source, source knew, and we also don't have as we have like one percent of the ancient literature that survived. Well, true, true. Yeah, maybe then they and you know, everybody didn't know what was going on over there. As far as Assyria. yeah, I'm a, I imagine that political rulers in eastern the eastern Greeks among Ionia and like the ruling classes pro- probably were very familiar with the vicissitudes of a lot of the the eastern kingdoms. Mm-hmm, um, sure. And the traders probably were very familiar with what was going on in their kingdoms. They probably heard things that were taking place as they pulled up to the docks. You know, gossip hour probably knew at least snippets of what was going on. They weren't ignorant, right? Yeah, they said there was rebel- there, were, there was some there was rebellions too. The Greeks were involved in you know and uh, with mm-hmm. the- and the mercenaries and the mercenaries. They were yeah. fighting. They would have known at least somewhat what was going on um yeah, they weren't going to be completely ignorant of what they were fighting or where they were fighting or who they were fighting yeah, yeah and I they imagine. say i mean it was destroyed around 700 and probably by sennacherib mm-hmm. i mean they rebuilt it but they must have known that it was some some badass came in there and you know mm-hmm. did some business i mean that was uh the phoenicians by then were uh vassals of assyria so mm-hmm. yeah so you know that's the thing i guess they you know the the Greeks and the East and the Near Easterners did they knew about each other before, you know, how like I said, as we were told in grade school and high school that they were like, Who are these Greeks? But they must have they must have all known each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean known each other in the sense that they knew they existed. Right. Um, yeah. They didn't I, really I understand agree with that. each other. And of course that's why the Greeks went west. They couldn't colonize the East because they knew there were civilizations that were already there. Mm-hmm. And they, they went the northeast and west. Right. Well, north, north, right. northeast, and west. There was some yeah, colon. West, there was yeah. some colon- colonies south and east, but not, but very little. Like, like you said, Almina, col- it wasn't a colony, but it was more of a trading post. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Egypt, Nocritus and Thonis. They were trading posts. There was Cyrene. That was a colony, a Greek colony. Um, so near Carthage or near a North African coastline. But most, mo- but most of it was Italy, southern Italy, Sicily. France, southern France, eastern Spain, and yeah, and the Black Sea and the northern Aegean coastline. Yeah, they I mean they really were the most different. I mean, you know, I just don't you don't see the other the Near Eastern civilizations, I guess, you know, spreading out the way the Greeks did. Just so just so much energy, I guess. I mean, they just the Near Eastern was just conquered everybody, or these guys were doing all kind of things all over the place. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I guess that kind of wraps it up, right? Wraps what up? The, what we're talking about? <laughs> oh, for the uh, for the uh, Assyrians. Just in general, I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's any. You know, we kind of, we, but eventually we come up to the 500 BC when the Persians mm-hmm. and the Greeks do throw down. So obviously, by that point, everybody knows about each other for 100. Mm-hmm. percent Yeah, I mean, they were again Black Sea trading, Eastern Mediterranean trading. Um, the Greeks 
the Greeks were fighting as mercenaries in Neo-Babylonian Egyptian armies, Lydian armies. They cultural uh, they they were on diplomatic missions. There, there was pottery um, sent back and forth. So trade. We have evidence of um, materials from all even like Central Asian peoples in Greece and Greek pottery as far as like art too and all throughout the Black yeah. Sea. Um, so we know like at least upper class people who had the uh, the ability to travel, supposedly people like Pythagoras went all the way to India and Egypt um, and Babylon to be like trained in mathematics and stuff. Um, so like the people who are rich, who are the sources kind of, you know, they could just leave and go travel and sightsee. Right. Solon did that in Athens in the 6th century, early 6th century, he he traveled around the Mediterranean and visited people. Um, Herodotus, I mean, that, this is the reason he was able to to write his stories is and able to travel and see the people is because, you know, he was wealthy. He came from a wealthy right. class in Helicarnassus, or a wealthy family in Helicarnassus. So, like, right. the wealthy people who had the ability to travel, especially later when the Persian Royal Road would be established, it made traveling throughout the, the empire, the interior, throughout, like, a lot easier yeah there's there was definitely interaction um throughout the iron age most of it was trade and a lot of cultural um interaction where you you mm -hmm. learn about things from traders who pulled up to the port or you know some people would learn some things and they would adapt it uh to their own there's a lot of religious connections with especially a lot of the early cults i talk about that a lot um in i have a series of a dozen or so episodes on all the individual major gods plus some of the minor ones and you talk about like the early history of their cults and a lot of you see a lot of connections between mesopotamian uh cultic and practices in their deities egyptian anatolian um local gods there's none of these civilizations existed in a bubble basically yeah, that's correct and then they uh, you know right around that i think right around the mid 600s 600s is when Homer was writing, probably right. We think, and a lot of that got the six hundreds. I mean, the, the, well, the, I don't, I, I, the I don't think Homer later, was actually. They were writing, you know, like even the Bible was kind of written there. It seems like these civilizations were writing their origin stories around mm -hmm. that time. Yeah, a lot of people have each other. Mm -hmm. I don't actually believe Homer ever existed as a person, but right. like a, <laughs> but um, yeah, somewhere around seven fifty to six hundred, I guess. Uh, well, seven fifty. 750 to 700 or so is like the traditional date. Some people will place it much later. I mean, Homer, as we kind of see, have it today, was fixed by Pisistratus in Athens in the late 600s at a festival, like, because there were so many different versions of this story and they okay, kind of yeah. wrote them down as one. Um, but like the story itself was date, you know, 8th century. Sure, right, right, right. It's like, but it's like the Bible. A lot of the Bible stuff was done right around then too, and so it seems like these cultures were getting their, mm -hmm. they're really come, they're looking back to the from the past all the way back there, and then you know, mm -hmm. creating their identity as Greeks, as Hebrews, as that kind of thing. But obviously, mm -hmm. if they're mixing with each other, they're influencing each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, every every Mediterranean culture has a flood story. There's very similar myths in all. Uh, there's very similar stories in all the different ancient myths or all the different cultural myths you see a lot of similarities and 
in Greek myth and Mesopotamian myth and Egyptian myth, just different names and some of the details may be the same, but you know, that big picture theme, very similar. Right. But you don't see, you don't see similarities between Greeks and the, and the Aztecs or anything like that. Cause they're obviously not near each other at all not connected. So that's one of the yeah, reasons you can see that these people were connected. No matter what people may uh, say, the Greeks or the uh, Romans never went to South America or North America. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what you may see on the History Channel. Right. And as I always say, the aliens did not build the pyramids either. Nor did slaves. No, probably. No. Yep. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... You would or Hebrew slaves, I should say. Nor did Hebrew add, slaves. What was that? I said, nor did Hebrew slaves. No, That you would no, see no. in the Bible. <laughs> the, no. Of the Exodus. They, they did not build the pyramids. No. My theory has always been that they were people, that, they had too much, you know, um, too many people that had had too much time on their hands, maybe. And they <laughs> they had them put rocks on top of other rocks to keep them out of getting in trouble and give them <laughs> beer and food. So it's like a working theory I have. Mm-hmm. You know, once the farms became like a productive and then people didn't need to like work all day long. And now you have these people and you're, you don't want people in, in idle. So put, put rocks on top of rocks. I'm sure that wasn't the main plan, but it kind of worked out that way. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. So yeah, I don't. I I think um, I think we summed it all up. You think? Yeah. Well, I think that we co- we pretty much covered pretty thoroughly, don't you think, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had fun. Uh, this was this was fun. I've, uh, I like your guys' podcast. Um, so I'm I'm very honored that you got, that uh that you asked me to come on. Um, tell Dan that I I'm disappointed that he couldn't come to this as well. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I'm just messing. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to get all the times together, but maybe you and Dan will do one sometime. Yeah, he's a uh, Sweden, right? Yeah, he's in Sweden. Yeah, Sweden. I'm trying to talk him into going to the. the I heard you on um, the podcaster. I'm not the name. I can't remember the name of the event that's in New York, but you guys did it virtually this year. What's the name of that event? Oh, Intelligence Beach. Yeah, yeah, I want to because I'm in, I'm only a couple hours from New York, so I'm trying to talk Dan into coming to New York for that next year if they have mm-hmm. it, or maybe the year after. Yeah, I think I well, we'll see. We'll see how the world is next year, next summer. If they still have a vaccine yeah. or whatnot, but um, yeah. we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so, it was yeah, uh, it was a lot much, of fun. Ryan. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was gonna say it was a lot of fun last year in New York City, and I was really bummed that I couldn't go back this year. Yeah, because every time I go to New York City, I I, I spend hours in the Met. It's become a I go to I try to go to New York City at least once a year and and go see the Met and the Natural History Museum and the Planetarium, and I didn't yeah. get to see the Met this year. Well, if it goes next year or the year after, we'll have to keep in touch and maybe we yeah. could meet up out there because even my daughter lives in Brooklyn. So, mm. so I got friends in New York too and stuff. So yeah, so thank you very much, Ryan. And his podcast is The History of Ancient Greece, right? And we'll put the links to that in our show notes. Mm-hmm. For Ryan's mm-hmm. um, fans, ours is Fan of History. You can um, follow me on Twitter at Greek History Pod or Instagram at Greece History Pod. Apparently... I couldn't get Greek history pod. Someone already made it, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, but I couldn't find it. So I think somebody made it and then deleted it. Um, yeah. But yeah. They're not, as, they're not an overachiever like you. You've been doing all these episodes. <laughs> I mean, I know you put a lot of work in your episodes. So I could tell you guys that. Thank you. You, you could you know. And then, I mean, it's easier for me because I talk with you or I talk with Dan. You're doing them standalone by yourself and just they're great. I mean. I'm sure I use them as references for our podcast. I bet people use it for, for for school and everything like that. So they're they're definitely very informative. I highly recommend them. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yep, you're welcome. Well, thank you very much, and um, 
Well, maybe we'll do it again soon. We'll come up with a topic. Yeah, and Fan of History is on all the social media, and they're Fan of History. So, and my name is Bernie Mayopolsky, if you need to find me. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Fan of History. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.